พุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสัง
for millennia basically that human beings have had various forms of religion that that means that we don't make this mistake of attaching to my views and opinions and if you're in a if you have a theistic religious belief system then it's the almighty that you believe in and and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that the prayer of the Christians it's not it's not my will not what I want that matters ultimately and in following such a, a discipline the, the benefit is that people learn to not take themselves too seriously and if human beings don't have any such discipline then the sad and sorry result is that there's a risk that that we do take ourselves too seriously and when I am suffering then I can feel overwhelmed I can feel crushed by it we have these teachings that encourage us to view suffering not as an indictment against us just because we're having a hard time doesn't mean to say that we're failing the Buddha had a hard time before he was the Buddha all the luxury, all the convenience all the education, all the skills all the competence and still around the age of 29 he fell into despair and then for several years afterwards when he went forth he went through incredibly difficult times in search of that which was beyond suffering and then his teaching was that the skillful way to approach life is not to not to react in the face of suffering and difficulties and sadness with blaming somebody or distracting ourselves but rather to get interested to study it well that's different that's that's a different sort of religion the four noble truths study suffering and, and that is what was encouraged and Suffering does not have to indicate that we're failing. It often feels that way. I regularly feel that way when I'm suffering. I feel like, oh, there's something wrong with me because I'm suffering. As soon as we feel that, as soon as we have that impression, practice is how long does it take us to recognize that's what we're thinking? How long does it take us to see that we're making a problem out of the pain of life all beings experience pain do we have to turn pain into a problem uh, even the Buddha after his enlightenment experienced pain the Buddha didn't turn pain into a problem those of you that are perhaps familiar with that uh, very impressive piece of work called Buddha Dhamma uh, by Tansomdit Payuto Bhikkhu very skillfully and helpfully translated by Robin Moore there's a discussion in there where where Tansomdit is talking about the way the Buddha gave an alternative interpretation or presentation of how to approach suffering and he was talking, it's the section in the book about the Paticca Samapada or the links of dependent origination and, and the normal routine of going through the 12 links. Well, there's an alternative routine whereby the Buddha explains that 
Yes, it starts out as ignorance and goes all the way through until until suffering, and then soka paridava dukkha domanasa upayasa, sorrow, limitation, pain, grief, and despair. And at that point, the Buddha points out that how we meet the suffering determines what happens next. If we meet the suffering heedlessly, habitually, casually, then we just get pulled into further and deeper ignorance. That's disappointing. There is, however, the alternative to meet the suffering with interest. And then, he said, it can go on to pace and then joy and clarity, concentration, and all the way up to complete liberation. Or that same suffering can also be the trigger for increased cultivation of integrity, which likewise goes on to developing confidence and joy and clarity, concentration, and until eventually complete liberation. Also that suffering can be the trigger, be the cause for increased cultivation of wise reflection, which likewise goes on to development of and clarity, concentration, and complete purification. So the point being that it's not the suffering that's the problem, it's how we meet it. And so once again, we are fortunate we have these teachings, this encouragement, not to automatically react when things are difficult. Things can be really difficult. Thoughts of suicide. Personally, I... I've never really seriously contemplated um, taking my life. However, there have been a good number of times where I I really wished it was all over, wished it wasn't here. And and the fact that those feelings of despair that I was experiencing didn't progress towards something more serious, what's that down to? Well, I don't know. It's a... Life is complex. However, I do suspect that that the faith, the confidence that I have in true principles in Dhamma certainly contributes. The confidence I have in, in the Buddha's teachings and the Four Noble Truths and, and makes a big difference. Having faith, trusting, can make a profound difference. And it's unfortunate in this day and age where there's so much encouragement towards rationality and wanting to understand everything conceptually, to have a conceptual answer to everything and not really valuing not not valuing even valuing symbols and rituals like we meet regularly here in the Dhamma Hall with our morning and evening pujas and we bow to the Buddha and we chant in this ancient Pali language nobody speaks Pali anymore it's old and And why do we recite it? Well, as a tradition, there's value in tradition. We have a Buddha image. The Buddha didn't encourage having Buddha images. He encouraged having a wheel or a Bodhi tree. However, many hundreds of years ago, human beings found the Buddha images worked as a symbol to remind us of the potential for being free from suffering, the potential for the realization of profound wisdom and limitless compassion. And that's what the Buddha symbolizes. And so we, we bow down to the Buddha. We make offerings of beautiful incense and, and light and bows to the Buddha. Why are we doing that? Well, not to ask favors from this piece of bronze. It's not that naive and, and foolish. 
Rather, there's an appreciation of what is symbolized by the Buddha image. It's unfortunate that that for many people these days, they're being overly fond with being identified in a thinking mind, that sometimes that overshadows the potential for trusting trusting in something, like trusting that some people know better than we do. The arrogance and conceit of the view that we're all equal. We're not all equal. There are some people who are much more virtuous than we are, much wiser than we are, much more compassionate than we are, much more patient and able than we are. On that level, we're not all equal. So having rituals, having traditions, having symbols... That in itself can be a great resource and a great support. And if you have developed a, a familiarity with these traditions that we've inherited, then when the going gets tough, we've got something to turn to. Maybe something that's more beneficial than rational thinking. And rational, linear, logical thinking definitely has its place. Yeah. However, it only speaks to certain aspects of our being. Like if if you want to know about the Lake District in Cumbria, the beautiful Lake District, well, you can read about it and learn how 500 million or 600 million years ago uh, Scotland was actually joined up with with Greenland, with, with North America, and and then somewhere around about 50 or 60 million years ago it split off and, and eventually ended up colliding with the part that we know of England and Wales and that used to be part of France and, and now we've got it like this and, and then those beautiful valleys and the Lake District, that's, they are, turned out that shape because of the, the flow of the, uh, the glaciers at the time. And, uh, well, that's interesting. Well, that tells us something about the Lake District. We could also read poetry by Wordsworth and learn something about the Lake District. Which teaches us more? Which is better? Well, it's not really necessarily which teaches us more, which, which is better. Rather that different languages speak to different parts of our being. And, and they've got their place. And so when it comes to dealing with heart matters the place where we really suffer. Symbols can be very helpful. Rituals can be very helpful. Tradition can be very helpful. Always assuming that everything has to be rational and reasonable actually is very unreasonable. In everyday life, even though a lot of people presume that they are not into, that's just symbolic. Well, if somebody puts their hand out to shake your hand and you don't return it, it's just symbolic. It's not like you can't stand on your own two feet. You don't tell the other person, you don't need me to hold your hand to stand up. You know, you're not a two-year-old. You can stand on your own two feet. You wouldn't, wouldn't dare do that. That would be incredibly insulting. What's insulting? Well, it symbolizes the shaking hands. That's traditionally, originally, it's, it seems like it was something to do with you know, showing harmlessness like that. It's the hand that you used to use to pull a dagger and hurt somebody with. 
So shaking hands symbolizes harmlessness or friendliness or, or waving. And you look, see, somebody, if you don't know what waving means, like waving goodbye or, or waving hello, and you know, waving, what are they doing? Look like swatting a fly away or something. Are they? It's, not, it's not swatting a fly away, it's, it's greeting or saying goodbye. It, it means something symbolically. Or other cultures, if you're in Asia, I'm playing Anjali. Or in New Zealand, if you're greeted by Maori people in New Zealand, then maybe they give you a hongi, which is where you actually rub noses together. You say, what on earth are people doing that for? So it's, it's sharing breath. It's a, again, it's, it's a greeting. Lineal logical thinking only takes us so far. And, and if we're attached to it, then we misperceive when we sadly dismiss the potential value. Mm-hmm. Bowing out of faith in the Buddha can be just the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Help reconnect us with something which in our hearts we trust in. Maybe we don't even know what it is that we trust in, but we've heard Dhamma, we've read Dhamma, and we have a conviction that it's not just whatever. Mm-hmm. There are truths there is actuality, there are true principles and, and it matters to us that we don't spend our life just wandering around in the whatever land. And, and it matters to us that we're able to cultivate compassion and, and move in the direction of the realisation of wisdom. Mm-hmm. We recently marked Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth's Jubilee, the, the Platinum Jubilee last weekend and I suspect there was a good number of people who wondered why they were so impressed by the celebrations or by Her Majesty. Of course some people dismissed it outright and, and didn't like it. Do we really understand what's going on with monarchy or do we just assume that it's something old fashioned and and irrelevant. What's going on when this rather frail-looking 96-year-old steps out of the balcony and, and she waves and 22,000 people, or probably millions of people around the world, go completely bananas? What's that all about? Why do people feel so good to be seen and to see the monarch? Well, it's, it's the symbolic value of the monarch. Because everybody is equal, we're all equal in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, we're all equal in our relationship to the monarch, and that equality gives us a sense of togetherness. And even if we don't understand it, it can produce a sense of safety, a sense of belonging, a good feeling. And if the monarch happens to be a virtuous person, then to be seen by them or to see the monarch also can be a way of feeling blessed and that indeed is what seems to happen and people are so keen to see the monarch and, and if they play by the rules and, and they behave themselves reasonably well then it can be the source of a great deal of good feeling. Now I mention this not necessarily to speak in favour of, of maintaining monarchy, I don't know. I mean monarchy is something that was invented by human beings and when it disappeared for a while when when uh, Mr. Cromwell was around and it's not like you know, Britain disappeared into the ocean again. It wasn't the end of everything. 
monarchy is, in, is invented by human beings. However, it does serve a purpose. It's a symbolic purpose. And, and on a secular level, the monarch, the king or the queen symbolizes unity. And likewise, on the, the heart level, the inner level, the Buddha image for us symbolizes unity of heart. Perfect unity on that level is wisdom and compassion. So just as the queen gets around in a golden carriage and is treated with great respect and elevated and, and put in a special position, well, likewise, we gild our Buddha images and lift them up and, and then we look at them and we have a certain good feeling. That's not because the golden Buddha image has inherent value. It's because of what we project onto it. However, understanding it can mean that it's a functional use of rituals. There is, of course, naive use of rituals and symbols and traditions. And with mindfulness and wise reflection, we can make skillful use of these rituals and traditions and, and they can be a source of nourishment on levels that matter. And what we're really aiming at, of course, is the realization of true principles, not merely believing in them or bowing down to images or, or worshipping books or belief systems. However, in the process of moving towards realization, developing insight into these truths that, that the Buddha taught, these symbols and traditions can be very skillfully made use of. Whether it's secularism or materialism that has caused human beings over the the last century in particular, to turn away from, from using rituals and traditions, I would think that it's useful to, to look into our relationship with rituals and traditions, not just to idealistically dismiss them, saying, well, that's not part of my culture, or that's from a different era. You know, using the concept of the sacred in a skillful way. I remember some years ago when I was told that she wouldn't allow the anointing part of the coronation to be televised because that was between her and the divine. In other words, she had a clear concept of what belonged to the secular and what belonged to the divine. And so using these rituals, not in a way whereby they make us weak, but quite the opposite, in a way that helps us feel nourished, you know, feeling like we're part of a tradition Tens of thousands, millions of human beings you know, have turned to the Buddha's teachings for many hundreds of years when they're suffering, when they're struggling, when they can't find their way forward, when they can't see any hope, when they feel like they've lost faith. And using rituals, using traditions, using symbols skillfully can help reconnect us with that dimension within us that does trust that there is actuality. Even when it feels unendurable, maybe we're able to endure it. Even when it feels intolerable, we find that we're able to tolerate it. So having faith in true principles, and not and having faith in true principles, I should mention, I'm not talking about clinging to 
ideas and beliefs and true principles. And trusting is saying it's a matter of the heart. And, uh, and there's also the need to live in a way whereby we can accord with what's happening in the moment. Like sometimes we can be so up in our head holding on to the idea of principles that we forget to be present with what's happening in the moment. And maybe we've known people who are hanging on to principles in a, in a very firm way and are very convinced that they're right and, and they're going on about their principles. However, they may not necessarily be very harmonious or able to accord with what's happening around them. And then maybe we've met other people who who seem to be able to accord with what's going around, on around them, but not necessarily principled or trustworthy. Mm. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. <laughs> Sāvā